Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with another Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. I have an, an amazing person and guest on today, someone I've known for a long, long time. His name's Richard Osler. Welcome. Thanks, Todd. Glad to be here. Yes. And he agreed to come here early. And, and by now, those who are listening, I'm always doing these really early in the morning, but it's a great way to start the day and week. Um, Richard is a very inspiring individual. I've looked up to him for a long, long time. And uh, I'm so grateful that you are willing to be here. And our listeners are going to be blessed to hear your story. And Thanks, so, Todd. Yeah. And you're doing some really good things. He's got his podcast of his own, uh, Listen, Learn, and Love. Uh, it's an amazing podcast. I uh, was privileged to be on it as well. And uh, we'll get into that in a minute. But uh, I want to get started. Uh, you know, Richard, just tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, a little bit about your family. Thanks, Todd. I'm 57. I grew up in Salt Lake City. He looks, you know, 37. <laughs> uh, Highland High School is where I grew up, just your traditional um, Salt Lake City Mormon family. Um, my wife, I met my wife at BYU while I was in grad school. Okay. She's from Texas, and we settled near Cottonwood High School and raised six kids. Um, two oldest are married, uh, four youngest are not married. We just have one left at home. So we're in a stage where we're just about empty nesters. Yeah, yeah. How's that feel? <laughs> it's It feels great for us. Our youngest son, to have two parents and no siblings around, he gets a lot of attention. Oh, yeah. He's enjoying that. Yeah. So that's good, though. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so you mentioned before we were talking, you've been a small business owner for many, many years. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, a partner and I started a business about 20 years ago. Um, in the quick lube business, we help um, people that own Jiffy Lube franchisees all around the country. They spend money on marketing, and we're a marketing firm that is um, specialized in helping Jiffy Lube franchisees all over the country. There's about 500, or sorry, 3,000 Jiffy Lube stores. And oh, yeah. We have a relationship with many of those owners. So we have these long-term relationships with Jiffy Lube owners around the country, and it's a pretty narrow focus, but it's really been a good focus for us. Yeah, and you've been doing that for 20 plus 20 years. 20 years. 20 yeah. years. That's amazing. Very cool. Well, tell us about, you know, growing up, you know, a little bit about your family and your siblings and how that was. And Yeah, I grew up in a really good family. My parents um, are alive. They're in their late 80s and doing great. So I'm unusual to have, so we had them over to dinner and uh -huh. grew up in a really good family. I think one of my family stories that's really helpful for me is, um, I grew up in a very traditional Mormon home, and um, I had an older brother that stepped away from our church, and uh, to see my parents process that was very helpful for me. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, uh, my dad was in local leadership in our in our community. He was serving as the stake president, and he was processing the mission papers for a lot of um, the 19-year-old men and 21-year-old men in our stake, and during that time, his own son, my oldest brother, was not going on an LDS mission. And he yeah. eventually found his way into another Christian faith. And my parents one day, and it was one of the greatest teaching lessons my parents ever taught me, we all loaded into the family station wagon, uh -huh. and we all went to this small Christian church <laughs> right. in downtown Salt Lake City, this Mormon family, and watched my older brother, uh, my parents' older son, be baptized into another Christian church. Yeah. And I've thought about that, you know, for a long time since then. And it was 
probably the greatest principle my parents ever taught me because they taught me nothing is going to take my oldest brother outside of the circle of the family love. Wow. And, you know, it was hard for them and all of us to know because we believe in our faith. But, you know, he's never come back to our faith. Our love for him is not to try to bring him back to our faith. We just love him because he deserved to be loved. Yeah. And seeing all the great things he's doing in life and and it's re- and that decision of them is as there's been a lot of rewards at that in the sense the family circles together and we love our brother. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, and I'm glad you brought that up actually because I think you know p- people who maybe don't understand, you know, religion or they're not in a religion that when someone leaves the faith that uh, everyone else is being raised in, it can cause a lot of yeah. uh, heartache and pain. Um, and unfortunately for the person who's like, no, this is what I believe in over here. And then they feel, you know, ostracized and, yeah. you know, kind of pushed away from the family. And so for you guys to see that and how your parents handled it, what a, what a great lesson. It's that a had great lesson. Wow. Um, so how many brothers and sisters do you have? We, I have... I'm one of four brothers and two sisters. Okay. And that's exactly our family dynamic is four, I have four <laughs> sons and two daughters. Really? And where, where are you in the pecking order? I am the third of the four sons. Okay. My parents had four sons and then two daughters. Right. They're all alive and everybody's doing well. and Everyone's still pretty close to each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. So it's a good family circle. Very cool. Well, you know, I, like I said, I've known you for a long, long time, and you know you just seem so well put together, and 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 you are. <laughs> but I would imagine, you know, you know, I want to talk a little bit about growing up. I mean, did, what were some of maybe the trials and things that maybe you went through? I know you grew up in a very solid home, but I'm sure you you know you had your moments and times that uh, you were struggling. Or yeah, I mean, I like the way your um, your listeners like to hear real stories. I think there's been two times I've really struggled in my life. One I'll talk about later, but I did struggle in my fourth to sixth grade, seventh grade years, just fitting in with the other, mm-hmm. you know, sports-driven culture. Right, yeah. And I, <laughs> you know, I didn't fit in too well with that. And um, if Steve Jensen's listening, one of the <laughs> one of the junior high, late elementary school kids who was the coolest kid in the world, in the school, uh-huh. started to ask me to be on his football team at um, recess, and I think really? he learned I, I maybe couldn't run very well, or had, a, <laughs> but I could catch the ball. Right, I had great hands, and so he really? just designed plays to sort of <laughs> let me catch the ball. And it was, you know, it was a couple of years in there, and I saw a therapist during that time. My parents really? knew I was withdrawn enough and not connecting enough that. They were perceptive enough, and I think I don't know what I was ever. I don't remember ever sort of being diagnosed with anything, Todd. I mm-hmm. just remember not connecting very well. Were you and sad? Being withdrawn, I was sad. I withdrawn. I wasn't suicidal. I didn't. In fact, I think I was just happy being withdrawn. <laughs> really. But, <laughs> um, but they were worried, maybe more than I was, and maybe they saw some things long term that would be problematic for me if they didn't sort of get some help to sort of connect better. Right. But I think for me, puberty, because I finally hit, I hit puberty right. early, actually, uh-huh. which I think helped because then I caught up physically with some of the other kids. And a couple of really good guys in elementary school, early junior high, who were just kind to me right. and sort of included me in the circle. And 
you know, that was kind of the only difficult thing I remember going through. Right. Um, in, you know, before my LDS mission. Okay. So when you get, you know, when you're in high school, are you still withdrawn in the, at this point? Or at this no, point, have you kind of broken out question. of that? Good question. I'm just uh, involved, you know, I really enjoyed my high school time. I played on the golf team. So oh, I, there you go. I got to be a really good golfer. I peaked out at age 16. <laughs> I think I played my best rounds as a sophomore on the Highland High golf team. Really? And I never could quite duplicate what happened. <laughs> um, I think I was about a, you know, really pretty much a part yeah. golfer. And we had some great years on the golf team. So that was probably good to find sure. a home. And I found a home academically and um, just socially with my friends. So it was a really good time. Yeah. Do you still golf now? I do. I do a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I like golf. Yeah. Golf's fun, huh? Um, so y- you go on in your mission, you come back from your mission, kind of describe that time in your life, what's going on and how you're doing and what, what's, what's next in your, on your mind. And, um, life was just good after my mission. I'll, I'll tell a story from my mission that might be interesting yeah, for your listeners. Please. Our mission president, whose name is Ellis Ivory, and he was in his 30s when he was our mission president, so he's still alive in our Salt Lake City community. Ivory Homes is what he found. His son now runs that company. But he thought the mission culture was too much us versus the Church of England. And he thought we sort of demonized the Church of England. And so he thought, how can I change our culture of our mission to not make the Church of England the enemy? Because they're really a wonderful church with a lot of wonderful people. Yeah. And so he did an all-mission conference. That's where all the missionaries in the mission get together. And instead of doing it at a Mormon church, he found a vicar. Um, oh, yeah. And he did this meeting in a church of England, in a famous church of England in northeast Eng- northwest England. And the mission president and the vicar spoke about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it happened right before I got there, so I wasn't there. Okay. But it just fundamentally changed the culture of our mission where we could, you know, invite people into our church without sort of demonizing another church or another right. group of people. Yeah. And sort of, st- it's this great principle. I think we can stand for our beliefs without taking on other people. Right. Um, and sort of making, you know, lowering people f- to be able to stand for what we believe in. And I think it was a great, probably one of the greatest lessons I learned. And um, I just now see goodness in lots of different places. I love the church I'm in, Todd, the LDS church, but I see so much good in other religions and other people. Right. And so that, but anyway, to answer your question, I got on with school, University of Utah, graduated marketing, went to BYU. I'm not exactly a BYU fan, <laughs> but I went there and um, partly because I was single and thought that'd be a great place. And I found my wife. Sheila Jurgens from so, Houston, Texas. So it worked. It worked. <laughs> um, so we w- we got married just after I finished grad school, and started our family in southern in Southern California. Our first daughter was born in Southern California, and then we moved back to Salt Lake um, with work and have been living near near San- in Sandy, where we met you, and then yeah. near Cotwood High for the last twenty years. Wow, that's awesome. Um, so you went to Utah and then you got your, did you get like a master's down at BYU? Yeah, Is so that I, how the, I've been okay. a marketing guy kind of my whole life. I got an undergraduate in marketing okay. and then an MBA at BYU. Gotcha. Great. Yeah. I'm more of a Utah fan myself <laughs> <laughs> and, but all my kids go down there, down to the Y, 
Uh, but my youngest, Camry, she's applied at the U, so wow. I might, might finally get my Ute. Yeah, I'm in the same <laughs> boat. I love I love my kids' experience there, but I still root for Utah sports so teams. I, I do the same thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so let's let's jump ahead just a little bit. I mean, there's so much to your story, but I want to get into you have this podcast called uh, Listen, Learn, and Love. And I want you to kind of describe that, what it is, why you do it, and kind of how that all came about. And then what what's your mission and vision in this, in your mind, and what you want to do? So this podcast started with a church assignment um, in the Mormon church. I guess we're calling it the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints these days. We're trying to get away from the word Mormon it's a lay ministry, so I was I received an assignment to be um, a YSA, that's a young single adult bishop that's over a congregation, and I was assigned to the West Valley Magna area, Salt Lake City, and at that point I got on social media quite a bit. My kids got me on Facebook and Twitter, so when I went out, <laughs> when I went that area, there were about 300 in our roles, about 100 came to our congregation, 200 didn't. Okay. And I just started to find them on social media and add them on Facebook or follow right. them on Twitter. And gradually, and that was a three-year assignment, gradually those 200 that weren't coming to church, I started to connect with. And I, it's hard to kind of knock on their door or call them on the phone, but right. I would send them direct messages or they'd see what I was talking about on social media. And they gradually a lot of that group said, hey, you know, I may not, I'm not sure I want to be an active member of that church. But this guy seems like someone I could talk to. Right. Just because my message is sort of love and understanding and support and yeah. not very much of an us versus them. And so I started to meet for the first time with a lot of people that were not active in my church and really listen to their stories. Mm-hmm. And I and I realized that I had never heard a lot of stories of people that were not active in my faith. And a few were gay men, mm-hmm. um, LGBTQ, um, in that world. And it was the first time in my life I've ever listened to gay people talk about what it's like to be gay and Mormon. Mm-hmm. And some were active in, in our faith and some weren't. And it was it was kind of transforming for me, Todd. And eventually I just realized that everything that I've learned about LGBTQ people is from straight people telling me about LGBTQ people. Right. And I just kind of had this little personal revelation from God says, well, if you want to know really about my LGBTQ children, you probably ought to go talk to them. Right. And so I just... Hear it from them, yeah. I did what I call a hard drive reset. I just said, I don't know the amount of homophobia I've picked up over my life, maybe innocently, and I didn't know what was good or bad in me. I can take a cholesterol test and get a number. Right. But for this category, it's hard to know what I picked up. And so I, to use a computer term, just wiped my hard drive clean. And then I started to proactively meet with people. I just, it first started, I just started to say kind things on social media, mm-hmm. even as a, which isn't outside of Mormon doctrine to be kind to everybody. Right. Um, but most Mormons aren't on social media saying nice things about LGBTQ people. Right. They just don't quite know how to navigate that road without, you know, crossing a line in our faith. And it's not crossing a line in our faith, as you know, to be kind to everybody. Yeah. And to hear everybody's story. It's so important to understand people's stories. Yeah. So I just, you know, I found a, I remember there was a guy at high school that was gay and I always separated myself from all the 
gay people at high school. And I thought, I'm just going to go find that guy and go have lunch with him and his husband and just learn his story. It was kind of the beginning of, and I realized there's, doesn't need to be this us versus them. Right. Yeah, there's some, you know, regardless of where they are in their life, unless, and I joke sometimes when I talk about this, if someone, unless someone's joined ISIS and wants to bomb my house, Todd, <laughs> I have a boundary there, but most humans just want to go forward in their life the best way they know how. Right, yeah. So I just gradually started to, um, I call it minister, just minister to LDS, LGBTQ people by hearing their story and better understanding their path. And gradually my church assignment ended. It's a three-year assignment. And I just, as that was ending, I just felt an impression from God to just step into the space. The space I'm in is active Mormon Mm -hmm. and supporting LGBTQ people. And doing that, I'm not critical of uh, Mormon church leaders. I'm not asking for doctrine changes or policy changes, but we can do better um, to understand the unique road that people have. So that's what I've started. And and then we started this podcast called Listen, Learn, and Love because that's really the process I went through. I had to listen, Todd. And yeah. it's for men, I don't know if we're wired very well to listen. We're wired to fix. We're wired to flip a conversation if someone's opening up. We're wired yeah. to not ask follow-up questions. We're not, you know, in your professional work, you're a great listener because you have to understand people. But I found that listening, I can heal people more with listening than almost anything I can do for them yeah. and just fully hear their story. But listen, learn, and love is the name of the podcast. And we started early this year, and we've done maybe 60-some-odd episodes, and most are LGBTQ people telling their story. Wow. And I think Elder Ballard, one of the leaders of our church in BYU, um, in the end of 2017, saying we need to listen to and understand what our LGBTQ members are feeling and experiencing. We must do better than we have in the past until all feel they have spiritual home. So yeah. one of our leaders, you know, talked about our LGBTQ, you know, members, and we need to do better. So that's a little bit about how that started. That's awesome. Um, and, and it's kind of rare because you're right. N- n- most people, I think, struggle with how do I, what do I do? How do I reach out to them? And I, what, what really stood out to me is we we are told what what they're going through by someone who's straight. Yeah. And I think most of us are in that boat. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, no, let's let's go to them and find out what exactly is going on yeah. from them because you know, the I'm sure there's a disconnect. Yeah. And what's cool about what you're doing there is that you are bringing you're you're connecting in a way um that I think most people you know, I guess haven't gone that route. It's I, I finally called it, I branded it, maybe this exists somewhere else, the trap of unearned opinions. Mm, and I like that. And <laughs> it is easy to have opinions about stuff, Todd. Right. It, it takes a lot it's more so true. humility to say, I don't know. So I realized that, you know, I don't know a lot about life for a black teenager. I've got a white teenager, Todd. I could go right. ask my white teenager son about black teenagers, but that's not very good. Right. I should either not have opinions about black teenagers or go spend a lot of time with black teenagers yeah. and really understand what it's like to be a black teenager in America. Yeah. Um, and so I think I've tried to really understand different groups of people. Um, and that started with my singles ward assignment, undocumented workers. 
Um, what is it like to be an undocumented worker? Even the term legal alien is a dehumanizing name. Oh, yeah. That I I've always not, thought that too. I've never really yeah. picked up that that was a problem um, until I talked to doc, undocumented workers. And I realized the most, you know, that's a dehumanizing name. And I yeah. realized, so there's all these different groups that I think, you know, to learn who they are, we've got to go either listen to them on a podcast or other ways they can have voice, or go meet with them and understand their unique life journey and the beauty that they can give back to us. Wow. Well, as you're doing this, um, you know what? What have you learned now that you've you you're reaching out? You want to listen, and what are you learning as you're listening to this community out there that's you well, know been maybe unheard? One of the things that I I do seminars now, and I try to just you know, talk about this in a thoughtful way. And I think God's blessed me with financial stability, so I can kind of do this, mm-hmm. which is good. Um, I I believe that sexual orientation is hardwired into people. Mm-hmm. I think the science is helping us understand that. Yeah. I think society and perhaps religions in the past thought we could change that. Um, but pray the gay away is this awful thing that a young person makes deals with God to be straight. And it's sort of like, yeah. take my eyes, yeah. take my hands, you know, take my arms, make me straight. Because no 13-year-old kid wants to not be straight in this world. And so, you know, I've heard these stories of all the deals. And gradually most come to terms that their sexual orientation is how their God intended them to be. Right. So you've talked about this in our podcast. I don't think God wants anybody to feel broken right. for how they're created. So. Yeah, I have just through personal revelation and I've given lots of priesthood blessings. That's something in our church, the laying on of hands. Mel, we believe we hold the priesthood of God. And so sometimes I'll give a priesthood blessing to an LGBTQ person. And I just feel God's love for them. Yeah, And I feel like they're some of the very strongest, most valiant spirits that I've ever met. And their sexual orientation is a gift from God. Um, lots in the young, lots that I meet with in the younger days, if they had a red button and they could push it to be made straight, they would, but gradually they get to the point most where they wouldn't push that button because it wipes out their very essence. All their Christ-like ability and gifts are tied in with their orientation and to press a button and be made straight. If for straight people, it's like pressing a button to be made gay. They wouldn't want to do that. Right. And so... That's been a journey for me. I just assumed wow. every gay person would rather be straight. Yeah. Um, yeah, their life's really hard. And if they're if they're going to stay within the teachings of the LDS church, they're going to need to, you know, not have sexual relations with the same-sex partner. They're going to need to be celibate their whole right. life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a pretty hard road. <laughs> and yeah. so I, as I listened to that road, I learned that's, a, you know, I have a lot of empathy for people that are on that road. And, in, and more understanding if they choose to step away from my faith and find themselves on a different path. Well, I would imagine that's why most of them do step away because why, yeah. if it's if it's hardwired into us and that's who we are, why would I be celibate? Yeah. Why would I do that? And, and, and I'm just saying this out loud. I mean, I can only imagine that'd be like them telling me I can't you know, be with my wife because that's, yeah. you know what I mean? I, can, I, I can't I even imagine the gravity of that. And it, that's just showing empathy. Yeah. You know, so that's just empathetic. And it's, 
I think you develop empathy for people when you hear their story. Yeah. If you don't hear their story, you think, well, that's, and you kind of stay in your nice, safe, emotional space. Um, but I've stepped out of my <laughs> nice, safe, emotional space. Yes, you have. Um, just yeah. like you have. And a lot of your listeners are living in a space that they need people to hear their stories and understand. But yeah, yeah most, um, I think the statistics I've seen is most, um, now bisexual people, and that's a hard road too. And some yeah. bisexual people reach out to me and say, hey, just because I'm in a, a straight marriage doesn't mean this is, it's not easy. Right. Um, but most bisexual people do find themselves in a straight marriage. Um, at least the experience I've had talking to people, but it, most that are, Gay and there's a Kinsey scale that says one to six scale, that um and there's you know I don't think any and some people are as I can't remember which way the scale goes Todd one's totally homosexual one's totally heterosexual uh-huh. but it's a range in there so I think it's good for listeners to sort of over time figure out where they are on that range but if you really I think a six is homosexual a five or a six it's pretty you know you're not going to find your you're not going to find success in a straight or a, a heterosexual mm-hmm. marriage right. Um, and most end up leaving our faith because some people say, well, it's just like being a single unmarried woman. Um, a single gay guy is the same as being a single uh, straight unmarried woman. It's really different because the woman who's straight and unmarried, that's hard, but she can pray every night and have hope that she'll find a husband. And her hopes and her dreams and her prayers are aligned with their sexual orientation with the doctrine of our church. But if mm-hmm. you're gay... Um, and trying to stay in our church. And gay would be a term men and women will take on now. Um, some women take on gay, some lesbian. But, you know, you're you you're sort of protecting yourself that you'll worry that you'll fall in love with someone of your same gender because then yeah. you'll fall out of line with the teachings of our church. So you're sort of in this permanent defensive mode of guarding any emotions or any natural affection that's hardwired into you right, right. to the same gender. So some are able to do that. And they sort of are heroes to me. Yeah. Um, and I think, but most aren't able to do that. And so yeah. when they leave the teachings of our faith, I do what my mission president taught or what my parents taught. I just honor everybody choosing the path that they feel is best for them. Yeah. I use, it's the principle of self-determina- self-determination. Everybody chooses the path that's best for them. And I just honor them. Yeah. And I don't cut them off. Yeah. And to me, that's consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For sure. Well, it's interesting you say that because, you know, Steve Jobs once said, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking back. And you look back on your, you know, when your parents, the way they treated your your brother, right? And then the way your mission president treated the Church of England, you know, and now what you're doing now, it's like it it kind of set the stage where you set this pattern of belief in you that I'm going to treat everyone with you know the same respect that I would want to be treated, and and I think most people try and do that, and and I and I think most people to their core are great, amazing people, but uh, but it's kind of kind of set the stage for you where you, what you're doing now. Yeah, and I I I just don't the doctrine of love my neighbor has no conditions to it, Todd. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even use the word the phrase love the sinner, hate the sin. Because there's judgment inferred in that. I don't think I should be judging anybody. Right. Nowhere in the gospel of Jesus Christ, unless I'm a leader in a church right. and having to assess someone standing in the church, I'm not right now. 
um, I can just love everybody. And it doesn't mean I'm compromising what I believe, right. but I'm using the doctrine of Christ just to love people. So well, I don't look at love the person, hate the sin, because to me, I'm sort of making a judgment on on are they I'm sinning, so why should I just have my emote yeah. in my eye? You know, we know that yeah. scripture. So, yeah. and I think a lot of millennials have got this figured out. Um, it's more my age group that sometimes thinks, well, I'm crossing a line if I I'm kind to somebody, you know, I'm if I go to a gay wedding or like someone's post on social media of a, that, you know, of a gay wedding, am I selling out my beliefs? And I go, no, right. your beliefs are to just love people. Well, isn't that the belief anyways? No, that's what blows my mind is it's, you know, if if you look at the doctrine of any religion when it's around Christ or God, it's all about love. Yeah. I mean, if you break down um, Christ's whole, uh, his whole ministry into one principle, it's love. So if anything, you're doing more of what you're yeah. Your, your religion's teaching you when you're loving unconditionally. <laughs> I mean, yeah. right? I agree with that. And a couple thoughts is one, you know, when I meet with LGBTQ people that are Mormon uh-huh. um, or Latter-day Saints, I invite all everybody to follow the teachings of our church because all the good in my life is traced back to following the gospel of Jesus Christ as taught through our restored church. Um, so I don't invite people to leave. I don't sort of let, right. you know, but if they choose through personal revelation and a lot of thought and reflection, then that's where I'll sort of honor them in that decision, even if it's outside of the doctrine of our church. But you're right about Christ. I look at all these parables. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, was up in the tree. Yeah. He was the least favorite person in society, and Christ invited himself to dinner that night. Right. The woman at the well in Samaria, he declared his ministry to a Samaritan, an unmarried woman, the lowest of low. He went out of his way to declare his ministry the first time to her. I mean, he was at the pool of Bethesda. He was teaching the parable of the good Samaritan, the prodigal son. So all the doctrine, and that's not just fluffy stuff, that's doctrine. Right. You know, so it's not like we just have these commandments that are doctrine and love is sort of this fluffy secondary thing. It's doctrine. Right. And so I think you're exactly right. And I think, you know, we need to just see everybody as God, as a worthy son and daughter of God and not sort of see them whether in what faith are they in or what commandments may may or not be keeping. We just leave that to God and love people. Yeah. Yeah, that's But great. I want to come back to um, this YSA assignment a little bit. And yeah, please. I started to meet with so many people with really complicated stuff, and they would just open up to me about their addictions. Yeah. <laughs> I remember meeting with, and one of the men I was meeting with was gay in a same-sex relationship and hooked on meth. In fact, the first time he messaged me, I messaged him on Facebook, and I didn't know, any, I was assigned out of the area, so I didn't know anybody. Right. So I found him on Facebook, sent him a D- DM, and about six months later, he answered and he said, sorry, Bishop, I've been in jail, but I'd oh. love to meet with you. Oh, I wow. thought, well, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. And so he met with me and he told me his story about meth. He told me about, you know, his he's gay and in a long-term same-sex relationship. And I said, I said, how can I help you? And he goes, help me get off meth. So, and I didn't have any skill there, but we met every Friday and we connect him with people like you that had the skill but I never felt impressed to make it about him being in a same-sex relationship. Right. I let him set the agenda on what he thought was important to him. 
And I just said, my job, you know, as his minister is just to walk with him on the road that he needs my help. Now, if he was saying, I want to join ISIS, help me, I probably would have said, that's a problem. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously <laughs> getting off meth is a great thing. Yeah. But then after a while, and this is, I kind of said at the beginning of the podcast, I met with a therapist twice in my life. Mm -hmm. So yeah. the last year of my three-year assignment, I think my emotional gas tank got so low um, just because I met with so, I had these two streams of, of, young single adults meeting with me, the active ones in the ward, kind of the traditional stream. But then I got all these, you know, ones that would just meet with me. And we had a Google shared calendar and, right. and they wouldn't come to church. A lot of them wouldn't come to church, but they just said, I need to talk to you. Yeah. And I know you're a trusted adult in the community and I've got really complicated stuff going on. And they may or may not have been even in my ward at that point. I wasn't trying to figure that out if someone wanted to meet with me, but I got, I think I got so low with my emotional gas tank, my compassion. I think I was, I think I just ran out of juice. So I started right. to meet with a therapist and then she taught me this principle called the iceberg concept, mm -hmm. which you understand and maybe your yeah. listeners do. But I started to look at all the messing up going on, especially with pornography. Mm -hmm. And most, you know, maybe half of that age group that were even active in our faith were working on pornography. Right. And I realized after a long time that pornography, what I saw on top of the iceberg is not necessarily what I needed to be talking about. I need to sort of set that on the shelf and try to figure out what's at the bottom of the what's iceberg. Below. Yeah. And you know this. And so I found for a lot of, for a lot of people, it, whatever was going on, you know, was about what was bottom of the iceberg. It, for men with working with pornography, it was often about stress anxiety, loneliness, need for connection. Yeah. And they needed to be rewired to find other behaviors that could, you know, result in a different, you know, behavior. And I also learned to de-shame people. Yeah. <laughs> um, shame says I am bad versus I've done something bad. Yeah. I felt like after a while I was just trying to, there's so much shame related to messing up. Whatever you're messing up is, yeah. Um, that I felt like, and I looked at what Christ taught, and he never shamed people. Right. Yes, he wanted everybody to keep the commandments. So I found through what this therapist taught me, and and she helped me just sort of refill my gas tanks. Yeah. But, you know, that I started to look at, you know, I just had a whole paradigm shift with, you know, some women became, some women with really low self-esteem, um, because of their environment. And it's, they, the only way they knew how to feel loved was to be sexually active. Right. And if I just gave them sort of a brutal repentance process, I'd just add to their load. Yeah. But sometimes I realize that, you know, what's going on at the bottom of the iceberg is someone that has no, that needs to have their self-worth and see them, and and then they wouldn't be sexually active because they'd, other, they'd feel right. loved. And so sometimes I wonder with Christ's, with the woman taken in adultery, you know, he said, go thy way and sin no more. He knew more about the complete picture there. Yeah. Um, there's no, I don't know where the man is in that story, Todd. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know if Christ <laughs> would have been as compassionate to the man. Maybe, you know, because maybe the bottom of his eyes, maybe it was about sex and, mm -hmm. and breaking commandments versus finding the only way to feel appreciated. So it transformed me to, instead of having sort of these set repentance guidelines to be very compassionate and 
and really try to understand what was going on in people's lives and bring Christ in their life so they could heal. But everybody has to look in the mirror and see themselves as a son or daughter of God mm-hmm. and not see them for their mistakes or for their shortcomings or for their weaknesses yeah. or for their mess ups. And you, I know you're teaching that and helping people do that, but somehow we over see ourselves by our weaknesses when we look in the mirror. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, when you talk about that compassion piece, I think that's so important, you know, because, you know, in the business I'm into, it's, you know, people are looking for compassion and understanding and all that. And, you know, one of the, one of the, the, you know, the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, I love that story because it represents the character of God. And when the, the prodigal son goes out and wastes his entire inheritance, just blows it, right? And as he's coming back, you know, kind of with his, you know, he- tail between his legs, you know, when the, the, the scripture says when his father sees him from a great distance, the first thing the father has for him is compassion. That's the first thing. And so I think that's a very important point you bring up. And I love that parable. Um, I think it's the most important parable to me of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. It's the pinnacle, I think, of of one of Christ's teachings. And I, he Christ could have set that parable up so differently. He could have set it up that the prodigal returned at night. Um, so this father didn't have this experience of running. Right. right. Um, he set it up to sort of be the worst case scenario because he sold his inheritance, which is sort of really, really bad. Right. And then he <laughs> lived a life of riotous living. Mm-hmm. But there's a phrase, and I get really tender, Todd. The prodigal, there's a phrase when he's in the faraway land where it says, he came unto himself. Yep. And to me, and you shared that in your own story, and so many people have these moments where they come unto themselves and they go, I need to come back. Yeah. But they don't know how. Yeah. And they think that there's no hope for them. The prodigal self-determined his outcome. He said, I'm going to come back as a servant. Yeah. I'm no more worthy to be called a son. So all you prodigals out there, <laughs> and yeah. I, we have all are the prodigal at times, sure. we have these... Co- and it's interesting when the father, and I love the visual of the father running to the son. He, you yeah. know, I think we have a tendency to make people grovel when they offend us um, and give them the cold shoulder and the silent treatment, but yeah. not God. Right. Because that father represents, as you just said, God or Jesus Christ. And he ran to the prodigal. And I think the prodigal was stunned. Yeah. And he looked at him, like you're saying in Luke, and he says, why are you, I've sinned against heaven and thee. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. He's sort of saying, Father, why are you treating me like this? And the father, with tears in his eyes, he signifies he come back as a son by two things. He puts a ring on his finger and a coat. And it's to signify, it's to forever answer the question, when we're in the, prodigal, when we're in the faraway land and we come unto ourselves, do we come back as a servant? Or do we come back as a son? And the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches we come back as a son. And I love the beauty of that story. And I think it exists there to give hope to people, no matter what they've done, that there's hope for them. And then I've, the more I've reflected on this, the more I think these, you know, I think the atonement makes us clean and gives us hope, but it doesn't take away the learning of these experiences. So if you've been in the faraway land and have lived a life of riotous living, take that with you. Don't be ashamed of that. Right. You may not share that with everybody every day, yeah. but the principles you've learned there 
will help you rescue other people. Yeah. And I know love that's that. part of your journey. Yeah. Um, but I just love the doctrine of that. And yeah. just that we all come back as sons or daughters. Mm-hmm. And I think God's set it up so most of the messing up occurs in our early years. He could have set it up that when you become 57, that's when you really start messing up <laughs> and you sow your oats and all our kids are trying to get, oh my, oh my gosh, my dad's in his... But he set it up so I think most of the messing up occurs in our earlier years. Yeah. And I think he did that because of the lessons, positive lessons we learned. Now, neither of us inviting people to go to the faraway land. Right. And we're trying to help people you know, improve their lives. But I think they need to look in the mirror and say, look at these beautiful, look at, you know, the lessons I've learned and the, and the better person I am because of it. Um, Even some of the men that were really overcoming pornography, the women, if they could overcome that, some of the women recognize that that is actually, I am so proud. I want to marry him. It's not, instead of being a yellow flag or red flag, they actually said, you know, this is someone that's overcoming or overcoming a really difficult thing, and maybe he will actually be a better husband and father because for of it. it. Yeah. And maybe he will help our sons and daughters, um, because of his own experience with pornography, be able to help them avoid it. Yeah, I love that. And and so, some of, uh, instead of just telling every woman they should flee a guy with a pornography problem, or that's had an addiction problem or whatever, I mean, permission to, to not be in a relationship, it's not comfortable for you, but... I think some women, and sometimes it's the men with the women, so I don't want to just say the men are the ones having the problems, look at these life experiences say, this is going to be, you know, this experience is going to make my partner a better right. partner. Yeah. Well, I love that. Will you share that quote you shared with me, the wounded healer? Yeah. Is that, if you have that handy, it was, you shared that with me yesterday, and I've been thinking about that ever since, and uh, I think it goes along with what you just said, with someone who struggles when they overcome what what can take place? Put you so, on the spot here. Yeah, um, it is coming. Here it is. So <laughs> my friend Jake Watts texted this to me. It's The Wounded Healer by Henry Norwin. And um, think of this. He talks about Norwin wrote that a minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering on which he speaks the great illusion of leadership is to think that others can be led out of the desert by someone who has never been there. Uh, and so all you that, all you leaders, <laughs> all you that been in the desert, or that represents the faraway land and the prodigal, it represents these times in our lives when we're not doing what we know to be, we should be doing. And the great test of character to me isn't if you get there, it's what you do when you get there. Yeah. And if you can have the courage to say, okay, I can, I can turn, I can make progress in my life. I don't need to be perfect. It's three steps forward, two steps backwards, four steps forward, five steps backwards sometimes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But just this feeling you're, you're trying to make progress, your ability then to authentically lead other people out of the desert. And that's what you are doing, Todd. Mm -hmm. And so I think that gives hope to people saying this experience actually could be for my good. Yeah, And it can be part of my ability then to rescue other people. And isn't that what Christ did? Because he knew, he didn't, you know, he obviously was perfect, but he perfectly was able to hold everybody's pain and heal everybody. 
and lead people out of the desert as the great healer. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I really believe the in the principle life happens for you versus, you know, life happens to you. And I think all of the trials and the struggles and the tribulations that we go through are for our good, period. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it because now it allows us to step back and help someone else who's going through it. And they'll look to you because you've been through it. And if I can get through it, anyone can get through it kind of thing. And so I love that. And that, that quote, man, that's a, that's a powerful quote. I love it. And there's a scripture in Isaiah th- that um, though your sins be as scarlet, they be white as snow. Mm-hmm. And what the doctrine of Christ teaches that we've all done red things, but right. we can go from red to white. But a lot of people undersell that and they go, well, with a lot of repenting on my part, and a lot of forgiveness of the Lord's part, he can get me from red to a light shade of pink, mm-hmm. but I'm never going to be white again. I'll never be worthy to date her because if she knew about my past, yeah. I'll never be good enough for him. I'll never be able to be the kind of father that he will be because he never you know, went to the faraway land like he did. And I call it pink Mormon thinking. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe that extends to all religions where we look at ourselves as permanently different because of our past. And we undersell the power of the atonement to make us white. Right. And we, we then sort of self-determine a lower station for ourselves in life because of our past. And that is not the doctrine of Christ. Right. The doctrine of Christ is, is that we should have, our potential is not changed. And who we are is not changed. And all this beautiful learning is actually positive and adds to our life story to be able to help other people and lead people out of the desert and right. help our children and our grandchildren and others. And I, I think that's a really important principle. And I think our natural mortality just wants us to always hold on. We're funny us, things as human. We <laughs> hold on to things from I our know. past. and I know. We make it way more difficult than it needs to be. Yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> so I love that principle. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think one of the things, you know, if, I learned to do is to, as people, as an ecclesiastical leader, sometimes people would tell me about their past. And um, that can be very healing and helpful. But I learned that I needed to develop skills to make that a positive experience for somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that can be a very difficult experience if you're talking about your past. And I learned to just, and if someone had the guts to tell me stuff, I would often say, wow, my respect for you just went up yeah. a few notches because of the courage to tell me that. Yeah, not an easy thing to do. And to and the healing that would come to them as they just needed to unload really difficult stuff. And that in our world can come through an ecclesiastical leader, but it can be come through someone with your expertise too, Todd, as they just need, everybody needs trusted people in their life where they can talk authentically and be honest with who they are. But as you're receiving that information, it, it takes a little discipline on your part to how to respond to that. Right. Um, I know as a parent, I've tried to create a culture where our kids will feel like, you know, I, my love for them is not just conditional on them. You know, they need to feel safe opening up to me as their father. Right. Um, if they mess up. Yeah. <laughs> and how do you communicate? Yeah, we want you to sort of keep the rules, but if you're messing up, we want to have this culture in our relationship where you'll feel safe talking to me yeah. so that I can help you as a parent. Oh, I love it. 
Love it, man. That's uh, amazing uh, advice and, and insight and awareness around all that. Um, you know, so is this what you're doing full time now? Pretty much. I mean, I mean, obviously you got your small business. I, I mean, good but, question. But is this what you're doing yeah, the majority so, of your time? Um, my my regular church calling is I'm a temple worker in the temple district I'm assigned to, and so I go every Friday morning to the temple and serve there. I love serving there, and um, I probably spend forty hours a week on. LGBTQ related stuff and 20 hours a week, you know, on the small business (laughs) and because I'm on social media with Twitter and Instagram and Facebook Mm -hmm. talking about this space, I just, the amount of inbound messages, you know, as part of my ministry and just all over the world, people reach out to me and say, you know, this is, they'll open up to me about their orientation or there'll be um, parents with gay kids saying, how do I navigate this? And and so there's a lot of people that need to talk to somebody about this complicated subject. Sure. And they know I'm a, you know, committed Latter-day Saint and so I think they feel safe opening up to me because I'm right. not an activist trying to change our church. I I I believe our church has more chapters to write. I don't think where we need to be right. on this topic. So I don't I think there's more work that needs to be done, but I think that's I don't sort of suggest what should be done. Right. <laughs> I leave that to the leaders that I sustain and support. But um, my then I gradually got into podcasting like we've talked about. Yeah. My son-in-law said, your Facebook posts are too long. You should start a podcast. <laughs> I didn't even know what a podcast was because I'm 57, Todd. <laughs> um, and so then I realized that having LGBTQ people tell their story is the most effective thing I can do. A good ally. I'm trying to be an ally, so I'm trying to bring voice to LGBTQ people. Um, that's the biggest. That's that's my responsibilities, and then let them shine. I have a great life. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't need um, any more followers on Facebook, for example. Right, right. <laughs> so this isn't about that for me. I'm trying to, and I'm not trying to make it about me. I'm trying to say, I want to bring voice to LGBTQ people and their difficult road, so that. I love this quote from Sister Fiona Gibbons, another leader in our church. It's sort of like to to bear someone's burden. You've got to you've got to touch their to touch someone's cross and understand the nature of their cross. You've got to understand their burden. Yeah. And part of that then is hearing their story, and then you can fully minister to somebody if you really understand. Yeah. So that's what I try to do is you know over the phone or messages just try to talk. Sometimes an LGBTQ person will want to come to my home, and in the evening I'm often meeting with somebody that just needs to share their story. They may be an active member of my church. They may have completely left the church, but they still, I think, are worthy of my company and my sure. and my potential counsel is there. I don't do that as an official church leader, just a fellow Christian trying to help my yeah. fellow humans. Sure, I love that. Well, if... You know, if you could give some advice to someone out there or a challenge to someone who's out there struggling, they don't know who to reach out to, um, or they're, they're, they feel lost, what, what, what advice or what challenge could you give them to kind of break out of what, where they're at? Good question. I think one of the first things they say, you, if you, hopefully you're religious, well, not, <laughs> is you've got to see yourself as the daughter or son of God that's, that his love for you is unconditional. And he loves you, and nothing you can do to, can change that. And you've got to see yourself at the core of you, as worthy of God's love. 
and that he will help you and nothing you can do will take you outside of the circle of God's love. Mm-hmm. I think God loves, I don't love people part of ISIS, but maybe God in his heart has compassion for people that are part of ISIS, Todd. Mm-hmm. His love for his children, I think, is unfathomable to us. Yeah. And then I think you just have to have a feeling that whatever I've done does not need to change who I be- need to become. And I think we get in this whirlpool of thinking where, you know, the ship has sailed or there's no hope for me. And it, I, I would, the second thing I'd say is a core part of Christ's teaching is hope. And you have to have hope mm-hmm. that no matter what's happened in the past and how bleak it is for the future, that you have to have hope that there are better days ahead for you and you haven't done anything to take hope. Um, right. So those would be the two things I'd say. Love that. Okay. And be really patient with yourself. I don't think God wants us to be perfect. If you're coming out of an addiction, I've, I used to teach the, you know, and you teach this probably better than I do, but, you know, you have to just even, you know, a lapsed versus a relapse. I used to always talk about lapses where you just have a setback and you kind of look at it as a learning experience. Say, what happened? What triggered right. me if it's a lapse for pornography? You know, what triggered me? What Can I turn this into a learning experience to, mm-hmm. fel- to better develop skills to not lapse in the future? Relapse is where you just sort of give up and you binge whatever. And, mm-hmm. and so I think even one of the things I'd say to people is, you know, try to stay out of relapses, but the lapses, look at learning experiences versus setbacks right. and try to make this as positive as possible mm-hmm. as they're working to eventually become clean. Yeah. Love it. Great advice. Well, if someone wanted to reach out to you and to get to know you better or have a question for you, what's the best way for someone to ask you a question? Yeah, so um, you can find me on social media. I'm Papa Osler. My teenage kids named me Papa Osler. Um, When I got on Twitter, when they were just high school age kids, you can find me on Twitter under Papa Osler, Richard Osler on Facebook. But um, you can go to our website, listenlearnandlove.org. Okay. You can fill out a contact form there, or you can email me at richard at listenlearnandlove.org, and I'm fine receiving messages of people that want to, you know, that want to interact. And and if you have suggestions for me, (laughs) um, concerns, or also need help, I'm willing to do all of that, especially the LDS LGBTQ space. That's a complicated space. And I'm trying to do that in the most faithful way I can. Yeah. I love that. Well, you know, listeners, if there you go, if you, if you have, you know, if you're in that space, please uh, reach out to Richard here and, and, and ask him any question. He is obviously very open to this is what he's passionate about. It's what he's doing 40 hours a week plus. And, and, uh, but I just want to tell you how, uh, great you are and how thankful I am that you're doing this and you're reaching out to people and and just like you said trying to just listen and learn and then love as you go along this i, I love that uh, process and uh, i want to thank you for what you're doing and it's it's real inspiring thank you todd glad to be on your podcast <laughs> <laughs> grateful to have you this morning um we'll have you on again and uh again thank you for uh, your friendship over the years we've known each other for a long long time and It's grateful to rub shoulders with you, and uh, I'm really blessed to know you. Likewise, and you are doing a great work, Todd, in saving so many lives. Keep it up. I will.